Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Night Protection Services, for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Surviving to Thriving podcast. I'm back again for another series on our men's mindset series. And today I'm going to be bringing on Aaron Morrison, who is a mindset and communications coach to help us understand a little bit more about men's mindset and relationships. Aaron, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me, Zach. It's a pleasure to be here. So a little bit of insight about you. You practice NLP. You have a consulting company, coaching company called Wildfire Dynamics, where you help others break through limiting beliefs, break through negative self-talk, and several different other things that may be limiting them in their own mind and in their own relationships as this conversation is going to unfold that really helps them with their communication with each other and to optimize how they interact with each other. Besides that, tell the audience a little bit more about yourself. Well, within the, the context of, you know, coaching, it's, you know, really three pillars that I focus on, which is clarity. We've got to know where we're going with laser precision. Otherwise we're going to end up someplace else. The confidence of that's the kind of limiting beliefs and negative thought patterns piece that you talked about. And then consistency, right? Taking consistent action and all the things that we need to, to do that. And I focus on communication, not only interpersonally, but also with ourselves, right? Because the words that we say to ourselves are of crucial importance to the results that we get. So yeah, it's all that and that you said, and, and then a little bit more. <laughs> And I think a big piece of this conversation is really going to delve into that negative self-talk. And one thing that you mentioned was taking ownership and responsibilities with your actions in relationships. But I'd really love to start on that negative self-talk that I think it's something that is not necessarily outlined as men doing as often as females do, where, you know, it's one of those that you hear about girls talk about a little bit more than guys, right? Where you were the proud type. We don't necessarily outwardly talk about how negative we can be toward each other or toward ourselves, which can definitely play a role in relationships. Tell us a little bit about negative self-talk where you see it coming into play and how it can affect a relationship. Well, I mean, our our negative self-talk, basically, it's our, you know, what do we believe about ourselves? What do we believe about the world? And these are all programs, essentially, that we formed earlier in life that, you know, just kind of became our operating system. And everybody, everybody has got an internal dialogue, right? That little voice in the back of your head that, you know, when you want to go do something says, you're not good enough. What if they don't like you? What if you fail? What if you fall flat on your face? You know, the fear of criticism and all the fears and doubts that we've got that, you know, I've heard it called the inner critic, uh, the inner judge, you know, just that that voice inside of us that, you know, says all the, the bad things like, hey, you remember the last time you tried that and it didn't work out? You know, that, that ultimately limits us and, you know, what we believe about ourselves. We carry those into relationships with other people and we project out, right, like our inner beliefs onto 
others. And so if we have negative beliefs about ourselves, we're going to have a tendency to interpret other people's communication in a negative light as well. And so, you know, uh, in NLP, we say perception is projection. And so basically the way that I explain that is that, you know, we have a tendency to project out, right? Our inner conflicts and our inner turmoil, we have a tendency to project it out onto other people so that we can become aware of it so that we can resolve it because all of our five senses are pointed out away from us. So we're not taught and trained to go inward, to listen to the inner dialogue that we're having. And so the only option, right, that our unconscious mind has is to project that out onto other people so that we can notice it, become aware of it. But unless we're aware of that, we're just going to, you know, perceive that as other people being that way rather than that's our stuff that we're putting on them so that we can resolve it. So that kind of leads to bringing baggage into relationships. The last girlfriend cheated on you or something bad happened in that relationship. And that kind of starts down that path of negative self-talk where last time you dated somebody, you know, it might've been X, Y, and Z. And you bring that forward into a relationship that can definitely affect because you're projecting that. Like you said, you're projecting that onto this new person you're dating, which could really lead to just an unhealthy and toxic relationship overall. Right. It, absolutely. I mean, you carry, we, we carry our old wounds and our old baggage and all this negative stuff, you know, the rocks in the backpack and it's the problem is not the problem, right? Like, so the girlfriend cheated on you, right? That's not the problem. The problem is you're thinking about the problem. And so if whatever it is that a person decides that that means, right? Like, a lot of times, I guess the, a common belief would be, hey, so women can't be trusted, right? If the one, one girl cheated, then all of them are bad, right? Or then we decide that we're going to be skeptical of all you know, people's behavior rather than it was just one isolated incident. Or maybe, maybe your behavior in the relationship wasn't ideal, right? And you actually kind of created the environment whereby she went out and cheated. Because, I mean, I've seen situations in the past where because the guy was so jealous and so insecure, right? Like she just lost attraction for him and ended up cheating, right? Even though she wouldn't have, had he not acted the way that he did, he kind of created that situation. So yeah, it's, it's important to clear out those you know, negative thought patterns and get rid of that baggage that we're not carrying that into and projecting that onto someone else. When you're talking about getting rid of that baggage, tell us a little bit more about that process. Is that something that we can do at home, like step one, two, and three, and you'll be good to go? Or is this kind of like, you need to be going to like relationship therapy? What does that look like? It's, it's a process of identifying, you know, like what's the problem? You know, that, that's where I always start. What is the problem? You know, how is that manifesting in your life? And how is that a problem for you? Right. And so just by identifying the linguistic clues, the words that we use that tell us about the structure of the problem and how we create that problem internally, you know, we're able to identify like, where is it actually coming from? Where was that created? And a lot of times, honestly, you know, the, these negative programs that we've carried around with us our entire lives were formed early in childhood. We're not even aware that they exist. They're just our beliefs and the way that we interact with the world around us. And so releasing those kind of mental blocks is just identifying where is it and, you know, 
removing that, that whatever that is, you know, whether it's a negative emotion, whether it's a limiting belief, or it's a, a meaning that we gave to something that happened at some point in the past that formed a belief that we have. And yes, it absolutely can be done on our own at home. It just takes a little bit longer than if you were to work with a professional, somebody that knows how to identify what these things are. I certainly, you know, I never hired a coach. I never hired a relationship, you know, person. I just kind of went through and figured it all out by trial and error and painful trial and error on my own. So, you know, it's like, yeah, it can be done. And if that's the way that you want to handle it, you know, more power to you. It can be done a lot faster and a lot more efficiently, which is obviously what I advocate as a coach. But, you know, it can be done just not as quickly. I think having that outside perspective is always helpful, right? Um, a big, yeah. uh, a big influence in the podcast I've already had you on my own with the leadership. One of the books I read in my leadership journey was "Everybody Needs a Coach in Life" by Michael Burt, mm -hmm. and it talks about you know Michael Jordan had a coach in life, Tiger Woods had a coach in life. Everybody needs a coach for different areas. You know, I have a business coach. We all have those mentors that help us through the journey we're going through currently, and a part of that, a part of that mentorship that you kind of talked about was things that you brought forward from your childhood, the, those formative years, where I'd imagine part of that can be watching that interaction between mom and dad at the house, where your very first mentor, generally speaking, is your father, where that's how I learned, you know, my dad's that old school type, right? He was a, he's a Vietnam vet, super old school guy, doesn't know how to sit down, can't relax and is always doing something to make my mom's day better, right? Whether that's like a little side project, the honey-do list, he's always doing something, right? That's just his style. And that's how I've shaped, you know, my mindset towards women is, you know, that's what I learned, right? So I tried to bring that forward where he's just like the epitome of being a great guy all around, you know, super mild-mannered. I haven't gotten that part down yet, <laughs> but you know, he's super mild-mannered, super easygoing and just wants to serve in the relationship. Do you think that that, that arena where you're watching mom and dad, their interactions can really shape your mindset at that early age where that's how you look at relationships? If you had a poor parental unit where it was like a, a nasty divorce situation or a domestic violence situation, do you think that really shapes how you interact in the future? Absolutely. 150,000%. I mean, yeah, yeah. So in psychology, there's what they call the nature nurture controversy, right? Is it genetics or is it the environment that determines how we turn out? And I think we've pretty much established that, you know, it's, it's, I mean, almost exclusively environment, because when we're born, we have, we know nothing, right? We come into this world with no knowledge whatsoever of how to operate outside of our basic instincts for, you know, like we're hungry and we got to sleep and we're afraid of loud noises and falling. That's it. Everything else we learn and we learn it from our environment. And so the first seven years of life are what's called the imprint period, where we literally download everything that happens around us for the first seven years. And that becomes our operating system, right? Because we have to learn how to function in our environment. And so everything that happens, you know, that goes in and we give it a meaning, you know, we assign a meaning to it and that becomes our beliefs. And so when you have a positive uh, role model 
in relationships in your parents, then you're going to be wired for more productive, healthy, functional relationships. If you're not wired for success in relationships, like for my parents were extremely dysfunctional, you're wired to grow up and, and repeat that in your own relationships, which is why I got divorced, <laughs> you know? So, so yeah, absolutely. The, the example that you, you have when you're growing up 100% affects your beliefs and attitudes about relationships, yourself, the world, you know, like just to use an example, right? One of my clients in business was frustrated with the fact that he wasn't putting himself out there. You know, he would, he achieved a certain level of success, but nothing he could do could make him break loose of that comfort zone that he was in. And ultimately what we determined was when he was six years old on the playground, he was going to make friends and this kid bullied him. And so he made that mean, he decided at that time that putting yourself out there equals pain. And so he would only go so far, you know, to, to take care of his basic needs, to satisfy his, you know, away from motivation. But then once he got close enough to that fear of pain on the, you know, putting yourself out there, he would stop and he wouldn't move forward. And, you know, likewise, you know, you're, you're working on a project and, you know, your mom comes in and says, you know, Hey, let me show you a better way to do that. And you could make that mean, you know, my mom loves me and she cares about me and she wants me to do well, or you could make that mean I don't do anything right and I'm no good, you know? So it's, it's all about the decisions that we make about what means, you know, what things mean when we're younger and the interactions that we have with the people around us and the examples that they set, because it's more, even more important what people do than what they say, because if they're, language and their actions are not congruent, then we're going to have a tendency to believe what they're doing. And I think a big part of that is communication and learning communication. That's something that I kind of, we talked about before, and that's a big piece of what you coach people on is great communication and how to be great communicators, not only in business, but also in relationships, which are generally hand in hand, just human interaction requires great communication, but it becomes even more serious when it's inside the household, right? Where like we talked about, you know, in during COVID, everybody's been locked down since in the beginning of April, late March, we're going on three months now where people have been quote unquote stuck with each other in closed walls where you don't necessarily get the breathing room you normally do. And during times like that, where um, back in the day as a police officer, you always saw an uptick in domestic violence during holidays when everybody's around each other. Um, anytime there's, you know, a, a power outage or a, a snowmageddon that happens here in Atlanta with a half an inch of snow and the city shuts down, you always see domestic yeah. violence rate kind of skyrocket because people are drinking, they're stuck around each other so much. And now that it's been a couple months, where does that kind of play into having that communication? How do you set the table for being so close quarters for so long and still be able to communicate really effectively? I think the, the first part of that process is uh, self-awareness of what is it that we're feeling in the moment, right? And being able to separate what we're feeling from what's actually happening because like our feelings don't equal, you know, the event, right? It's our thoughts that create the feelings. And so what we're thinking is causing us to feel the way that we're feeling. And with communication, I, I think it's probably most useful to examine the beliefs that we have about communication and about the world 
and enter into an interaction with useful beliefs or useful assumptions about kind of the world in general, right? So one of the very first things that I, you know, advise is to assume all behavior has positive intent, okay? Now, that means positive intent for self. You know, Tony Robbins says that everything that we do is intended to either get love or give love, you know, one or the other. So not every behavior has a positive result, but every behavior is positively motivated for self, right? So that automatically means that they're not trying intentionally to hurt you, right? That may be an unintended consequence of whatever it is that they said or did, but that's not where they started from, okay? So always assuming positive intent. And then the second belief that I, I find is extremely useful, and this, this is forgiveness for self and others and empathy is people are doing the best they can with the resources they have in the moment, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that they're doing the best they're capable of, and that doesn't mean that they can't do better. That just means that in that particular moment, that's the best that they could do, okay? Because I believe, you know, and this is something that, you know, you can try on and just see how it fits, right? See how it feels is people aren't intentionally setting out to, to you know, wreak havoc and to cause pain, you know? So if they are, then that's, it's an unintended consequence of a positive intent, right? Because when you go back in the past and you think about the mistakes that we made and that we beat ourselves up over, you know, the things that we said or did that we regret, you know? It's, it's like if you could have done better, then you would have done better, right? So the fact that you didn't means you couldn't. And so because you made that mistake, your best is now better, but it's only through the lens of the present that we can examine the mistakes of the past. You had to make the mistake to realize that it was a mistake. You know, it's like, cause you did the best you could in the moment. And so if we enter into that, re in, in, that interaction with, ourselves or another person and assume positive intent, assume we're doing the best we can every moment, you know, then that, that creates empathy, that creates forgiveness, you know, and just having the ability to take a step back from that and say, like, what's your motivation here, right? Like, what, what is it, for what purpose are we, you know, in this place having this discussion? What, what is this behavior? You know, a person is not their behavior. That's another, you know, very useful assumption or belief is that what a person is doing is not who they are. That's just the behavior that they're displaying in the moment. And so I always separate out the behavior from the identity of the individual. So I'm not going to say you're a jerk. I'm going to say, I don't like the behavior that you're doing right? This behavior, separating it out from the person allows you to, you know, it, it's, you're not laying blame, right? You're not making accusations and you're not being, you know, you're, you're not labeling them as anything. You're just saying this behavior is not okay. You know, you, you're separate from the behavior, but the behavior itself is not okay. You know, and I think people have a tendency to label stuff and put labels on each other and that's identity. And when you get into identity, then it's like, do you feel the need to defend yourself and rationalize? So yeah, that's uh, that's just just a few things I think we could we could start with. <laughs> and I really like a couple things that I kind of brought out of that. And one of the big ones that is in my mind it's controversial. I'm just thinking through it and trying to chew on it a little bit. But there's an aspect of a relationship where you have to be very selfless and always giving to the other person. 
But I also feel like there's got to be an aspect of a relationship where you're selfish and you're thinking of yourself in the forefront during certain circumstances because your self, your self status, your self uh, fitness, mental, physical fitness, you know, all of that kind of plays a role into what you're bringing to the relationship. Let's talk a little bit. Give me like your perception on, is it selfish to really be putting yourself in the forefront? And this is for male or female, you know, is it selfish for you to be thinking of yourself before the other? Where's that stance kind of go into that part of the conversation? There are few different directions we could go with that. I, I don't think it's selfish at all to take care of yourself. I mean, it's, I, I feel that people should have rational self-interest because if, if you're not putting yourself first and you're always putting that person in front of you, that's just setting the stage for resentment, you know? And so in a relationship, I feel like you should have your own mission and purpose in life independent of and separate from your partner. And that should be the number one motivation of your life. Right. And so when we're talking about masculine and feminine, you know, male, female, whatever, like generally speaking, you know, men are masculine, women are feminine and masculine energy is mission and purpose drive, you know, accomplish the mission, you know, follow the path is very linear. Right. And that's what the, that's what women are generally attracted to. You know, a woman does not want to be the center of the man's world. She doesn't want to be the biggest, most important thing in his life because that puts undue stress and demand on her. And if, you know, she doesn't act the way that he wants her to act, right. Then resentment again. Right. So it's like, you have to be kind of divorced from, you know, that obligation or that attachment to an outcome where it's like, you have to take care of yourself first, right? Because otherwise you're just subjugating your own well-being for the benefit of someone else. And I, I personally don't feel like martyrs in relationships, that's not going to last. It's not, that's not a sustainable relationship model. I feel like both people should have rational self-interest. Both people should be selfish to the degree that they take care of themselves first, because honestly, if you don't fill up your own cup, you can't pour into someone else. You can't show up as the best version of yourself for your partner, right? And so like a healthy, functional, productive relationship, I feel is a kind of, you know, natural evolution of, you know, adequate, proper self-care, right? I don't feel like self-care should ever be neglected for the sake of the relationship because if the partner that you're with feels that you should be sacrificing that, then there's something lacking in them. I feel like that's, that's a problem. That's dysfunction. Yeah. It's really interesting. And to make it more of a personal example, my ex-wife, speaking of divorce, I'm on my second wife with Heather. She's wonderful. I love her since this is her podcast. Of course. She's but my, <laughs> she is, she is. Um, I've met her. She's wonderful. And it's a distinct difference between my ex-wife and Heather where my ex-wife was very much the type that was unsupportive of my personal interests. And I'm not talking about necessarily career oriented or life oriented. I'm talking like daily interests of going to the gym. It would turn into a guilt trip of I wasn't spending enough time at the house or I was more concentrated on working out. Mind you, this is while I was a police officer. So obviously physical fitness is a huge aspect of that job. 
which in law enforcement is a huge neglected point of the job as well. So I tried to make sure I was staying physically active and it drove an, uh, it drove a pretty big wedge into that where there was a level of selfishness that I took to make sure I got to the gym every day. Right. And I felt like that personal care was really important for life you know, staying alive, literally on the job, but it drove that wedge where when she was unsupportive of that, she wasn't a person that worked out very often. And granted, that's kind of like a small example, but you can just see where that divide really starts, which I think is important to highlight as men, we have a tendency to, like you said, we're the ones driving, we're, we're that driving force in a lot of things. But I think we also have to be a driving force in being selfless in the self-care that the female needs, if that makes sense, where, you know, the girls' nights are a big thing, where you're not throwing that guilt out there, where similarly where Heather now supports that I go to the gym every day, she might not be right by my side there, but she encourages me and keeps me accountable for actually working out, right? And I feel like men sometimes don't do enough justice in the relationship of that. We're supportive of whatever it is that they may be interested in, where Heather likes to sleep in an extra two hours compared to what I wake up as, right? Because she feels more well-rested. That's a form of self-care for her. If I'm sitting here nagging her, hey, get up at four o'clock in the morning with me every morning, that might not be the healthiest for our relationship, right? right. It's kind of a silly example, but I feel like that that's something that everybody can relate to in that piece of things. There, there are several things that you mentioned there. So I, I just want to really quickly say, like, number one, that, you know, females, I feel like females absolutely can be a driving force as well. Because I know some some badass freaking alpha females that like they'll run rings around most men I know. So that's you know it's so yeah in the relationship I think you know we'll we'll set that aside for now. So talking about the self care aspect of it, I would actually say going upstream of the conflict, right? I think is a lack of establishment of boundaries or setting of standards up front. And so like if you have to assume that your partner is going to be exactly the way they are forever. And if you're not satisfied with the way that it is, then you should walk away, right? You should have enough self-respect and self-esteem to say, this is not the relationship that serves me and walk away from that. And if you're not clear about what you want, then you're going to get what you get. And so I would say, like, what are your values? What is important to you? What are your non-negotiables? Make a list of everything that's important that your non-negotiables make a list of your deal breakers and then pick the top 10 on both sides of that. And that's what you're looking for, right? And don't settle for anything less than that because if you do, right? And we're going to, if you want to get a little bit woo-woo about it, right? If you do, if you're willing to settle and you're willing to compromise your own standards, your own self-respect, then how can you expect your partner to respect you on that level, right? Because that, that bleeds through, that comes out, right? You can't, if you're out of integrity with yourself, that's going to show up in other areas of your life, you know, and that's going to set the example and it's going to set the standard. So, you know, I would, I would suggest, you know, if you were having an issue with your ex about like not working out, for example, then that's probably one of the things that you didn't establish as being a non-negotiable before you got into the relationship. Because like, I know for me, right, like she's got to be fit. She's got to be healthy eater. You know, she's got to be personal growth oriented. I mean, I've got my list of things that are like, if she doesn't fit, if she doesn't check all these boxes, then she's not the one for me. Right. And I'm willing to hold out for that. And I never had that before. 
And that's one of the major reasons I feel like, you know, not, not having had that, the clarity around what it is that I want, what I'm willing to, you know, what, what I demand in my partner. And then also, you know, the conviction, the commitment to myself and my standards and my self-esteem, my self-respect to walk away if she violated that, right? If, if my partner didn't fulfill on, you know, what my requirements were, or if, you know, she crossed a certain line or a certain boundary, then I'm like, nope, I'm out. That's it. I'm done. Right. I think a lot of the problems come about in relationships out of core communication, right? Both with ourselves and with others, as well as not setting the standards, not being clear on what it is that we want and being willing to accept less than we deserve, which I think ultimately springs from limiting beliefs about our deservedness, our worthiness, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve. These are all things that I hear a lot. You know, when we start digging in to uncover, you know, what is it that's preventing you from getting what it is that you want in life, right? Which relationships are one area of life. And those limiting beliefs about what you deserve, you know, play into that. So the question is, like, if you're in a relationship that doesn't serve you, if it's not everything that you want it to be, why is that, right? Why are you in that relationship? Is it because you don't feel like you can have any better? Is it because you're afraid of being alone? Is it some sort of scarcity or lack mentality that's, that's keeping you trapped there? You know, that only feeds back into the whole like negative loop of, you know, I don't deserve and I don't have the self-esteem and the self-respect. I don't know, right? Like it's, you, you gotta, you just gotta dig into that and get present to that. Like what's, what does that look like? And I'd be curious to hear your your insight into if that's how you are in a relationship and something so personal and something you have to be so vulnerable in, in your own household, how does that translate into everything else in life? Does that translate into business, your interactions at work, your your goals and your desires and your drive outward for your own growth? Does it kind of start there and then just expound as you go out and everything else or is there opportunity to be a little bit different at work than you are at home i mean if you're different at work and home i would ask for what purpose now there there are different hats that you have to put on you know there are different personas that you might have to affect to you know operate in those environments right like for a woman i think generally speaking and i'm i'm talking about feminine women when they're at work, a lot of times they have to be in their masculine, right? Because career and work and goals and targets and objectives and all that stuff is a very masculine energy. And so women, when they go into the workplace, which is male dominated, they have to step into their masculine, right? In order to function in that environment and to compete and, you know, to be respected. And then when they go home, they want to be able to take that off and put that down and, you know, have their man that takes care of stuff, you know, and leads because they don't want to have to be in their masculine all the dang time, you know, and it's, it kind of blurs the lines because people don't know how to, you know, play in those, in those spaces. But with regard to vulnerability specifically, I don't think that there needs to be any difference in terms of, you know, vulnerability at work, at home. Like for me personally, like I'm vulnerable in all areas of my life. Right. Because I'm not concerned about external validation, right? I share who I am genuinely and authentically because even if I'm rejected or even if I'm criticized by someone else, 
that doesn't harm my self-esteem and my self-respect because like, that's okay, right? I'm not for everybody and that's all right. So, you know, and it's, I'm not going to let that prevent me from being authentically who I am and sharing if that's what I feel like sharing. And so I think the question is, if you're not being vulnerable, is it because you feel that you can't be or you're afraid of rejection, you're afraid of criticism, that it's some sort of limiting belief around that as well? I mean, I don't know. You know, again, get present to that. What, what does that look like? What's coming up? And a big piece of that you, you mentioned that can be a little bit of a flamethrower, if you will, is external validation. And I think a lot of people kind of fail to see how much external validation they're really seeking where they're kind of, it's kind of like a blind spot where they need that validation more than they really realize. Can that be harmful to a person? Do you think that's something that people should seek that validation or do you think it's something that should just really be pushed by the wayside, focus on yourself, what you feel like is a success? How does that kind of look to you? I think that you should be secure enough in yourself that you don't need anybody else's validation or approval, you know, because people got their stuff, you know, and there, there, there are those out there who are insecure and they're going to tear everybody down because it makes them feel better. Now I, I don't advocate, you know, kind of, Oh, what's, how, how do I put it? Right. Like, I don't feel like you should, you should be seeking any, anybody else's approval for anything, but at the same time, I don't feel like you should disregard other people's opinions or feelings, right? Like you still have to respect other people's individuality, how they feel and how your behavior affects them and impacts them. But uh, just, you know, don't let what they think about you and what you're doing, you know, derail or, or kind of dissuade you from the path that you feel internally is true and right for you right like don't go out being an asshole you know just just to, just for its own sake you know but at the same time like if you genuinely like that thing like for example like i love fairy tales okay like there's a show on abc i yeah that is called uh, you know once upon a time i love that shit you know i love the happily you see yourself as prince charming don't you I kind of do. I kind of do. You know, like the whole white horse and all that. Like, yeah, man. Uh, it's actually I'm a good a, show. So I can't, I can't even talk smack about it. It's a good I'm, show. I'm a hopeless romantic. I've always been. I always will be. I love that stuff, man. The happily ever after just, you know, gets me right in the feels, you know? And I'm not going to not say that because I'm afraid of being criticized by someone who's like, oh, you're not a manly man. Screw you, dude. I'll beat your ass, right? It's like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, like, that, let's go right now. No, seriously, I'm, I, I'm not violent at all. But but I'm just, what the point is, I'm not going to not share who I am authentically because I need someone else to approve that, right? And so that energy, and that goes to like a big piece of what I find where guys are going wrong in a, in a dating and relationship scenario is they're trying to appease her, right? They're trying to gain approval for their behavior rather than just showing up authentic being themselves, right? That energy that you bring to the interaction, it's like, man, you got to, you got to know who you are, you know? And if you don't know who you are, you're just going to wait around for someone else to tell you. And that's not going to serve you at the end of the day, right? If you're just running around trying to figure out what other people's perception of you is, you're never going to be internally fulfilled yourself, right? Because as many people as you ask, you're going to get that many different opinions on the way that you should be, you know, rather than just feeling into like what's authentic, what's feel, what feels right for you, you know? So it's like, yeah, I like what I like and it's okay if you don't like it too, you know, cause it's just, 
the way it is, right? Like it, it doesn't bother me. So I don't know. Does that answer the question? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I absolutely love that. I, I love that authenticity piece of it because I feel like you really have to be because at the end of the day, if you're not being authentic on date one, two, and three, it's going to reveal itself pretty quick, not long after that. So, yeah. you, you know, you can only hold a charade for so long, right? So I think showing up as truly authentic is obviously the best way to go because you are who you are, you know? And what I would love to hear about is some resources. What, what are some resources you recommend to the audience, whether they be male or female, that they can learn a little bit more about the mindset, limiting beliefs, um, that type of thing where they can get a little bit more clarity for themselves? Two books that I read that were absolutely fundamental in my journey in formulating my mindset at the very beginning of the whole like evolution into understanding relationship dynamics and you know not screwing everything up anymore. Two books I think everybody should read, male, female, doesn't matter, is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. That's book number one. And then book number two is The Way of the Superior Man. And that one is, it, it takes kind of a more spiritual approach to the male or masculine feminine interaction, the dynamics. But I, I 100% think that men and women should read it because it, it kind of sets the standard, sets the model for what does a masculine man look like? You know, how does he act? How does he behave? And because, I mean, I mean, honestly, it's like the women, women respond to that, right? Feminine women respond to that model. And it, I think also it would help women understand kind of what, what's going on internally as well. Like, why am I attracted to this guy and not that guy, right? Why do women say like, I just want a nice guy, but then they're not attracted to the nice guy, you know? Because usually the nice guy's showing up looking for external validation. That's why. Because the bad boy doesn't need your validation. That's why you're attracted to him. You know, so it's like understanding, you know, like what, where does attraction come from? What is it that you're attracted to? Why are you attracted to it? Because I've actually, you know, I've had several women that have read that book and we've had conversations about it and they've found it very insightful, you know, from their perspective as well. So I think everybody should read those two books. And then if, if you're in a relationship uh, scenario where it's kind of like watching a slow motion train wreck then uh, I have a free download, <laughs> free download that you can get. Just go to relationshipblindspot.com and download that thing. And it's got all, all up in there's links to book a call on my calendar if you want to get some free relationship advice. If you're in a situation where you know, you're trying to avert disaster and you need some immediate help, then you know, give me a call. I'm there. And I'll, I'll help you uh, any way that I can. I absolutely love that. Thank you for that resource. I, I think it's a great starting point for a lot of people. And I really want to wind this down with a final thought toward the male ego. I feel like if a man, if a man is listening to this, you know, ego plays such a part into not seeking help, not seeking that outside perspective of somebody like yourself that could really help objectively work through some of these things. So what would be that final thing you'd say to the guys out there listening to encourage them to, to find this external help? That goes back to the discussion we were having before about vulnerability, because I feel like there's such a stigma 
around vulnerability being perceived as weakness. And it's really not, right? Like, I mean, if you think about it, fear of how you appear to others and that preventing you from getting the help that you need or want or avail yourself of the resources that can help you get to that, you know, wherever it is that you want to go, you know, holding back and pulling back out of fear of rejection, criticism, or, you know, appearing less than that's weak, right? Having the strength to open up and raise your hand and say, help me out here, right? Like I, I need some, need some help, right? Because people generally are, are very helpful creatures, you know? And, and if you are willing to raise your hand and say, I need help, then, you know, you, you will receive, you know, ask and you, you shall receive. There's a, there's a quote that I love by Socrates. And he said, employ your time in learning by other men's writings so that you shall gain easily what others have labored hard for. And one of the crucial shifts that I underwent in my journey was, you know, from the person who, you know, pridefully never asked for help because I never needed it. Right. I was always the one that people came to for help. And then understanding that I can't do it all myself. Life's not long enough to learn it all myself and make all the mistakes myself. And I started, I raised my hand and I asked for help. And the outpouring of support that, that resulted from that was so humbling, so humbling. And I had so much gratitude for, you know, when I said, look, guys, I can't do it all myself. I need your assistance. And just the support that came in and it was it literally just blew me away. And, and so I will never again be without coaches and mentors and people who have gone before me that I am, you know, learning from and studying and helping me to get to that next level faster so that I can turn around and help the next person get to that level faster. It's, it's having the strength, okay, having the strength to be vulnerable and just be authentic. And, you know, if you need help, raise your hand. You know, don't suffer in silence. You know, there's so much, I think that um, actually in the Netherlands, I think like Sweden or something, like one of those countries over there has like an insanely high suicide rate because they don't ask for help, right? I think uh, New Zealand is like that too, that, you know, their culture, you know, is, you know, you know, macho and, you know, alpha and, you know, we can do it all ourselves. No, you can't, man. You know, it's like, it, it doesn't matter, you know, how big and strong you are. You're human, just like everybody else. Everybody's got the same fears, the same doubts, the same insecurities, the same stuff. You know, I mean, I, I will tell you from my own personal experience of working with working with millionaires. Okay, millionaires, they got the same dadgum insecurities that somebody does who's you know suffering from debilitating anxiety who can't even hold down a job. Okay, like everybody's got the same fears, the same insecurities, the same stuff. Right? We're human right? We're all human. We all got the same stuff. So just, just freaking ask for help. <laughs> Aaron, I love it, man. Thank you for that insight today. If our audience wants to reach out to you, find out more about you and connect with you, what would be the best places for them to do that? So number one is go to my website, wildfiredynamics.com, W-Y-L-D-F-Y-R-E dynamics.com. And then uh, again, you know, if you're in a relationship and you're in a rocky spot or you just want to improve the quality of your communication, go to relationshipblindspot.com and just hit the, click the link, 
Download the thing for free. It's great information. Everything's in there. If you want to jump on a free 30 minute uh, consultation call with me and just, you know, get some advice on where you're at, help you out, then, you know, go check it out. I'd love to uh, have a conversation. I absolutely love it, Aaron. I definitely encourage the audience to go do that. And I appreciate you for your time and all your insight, my friend. Awesome. Thanks, man. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O-thriving-A-T-L, or online at 2thriving.org.